Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. I find that every night after I watch a couple of episodes, I'm exhausted. Mm. <laughs> so, and, and I don't know what I'm going to be able to contribute for a while until I get through 72 episodes of this. I think I'm up to 16. Okay, well that should only take you five years. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello, hello, it's Lou Katz, and we want to welcome you once again to the podcast that does its best to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment, and of course, we couldn't do it without the help of our very own Jen Cheney from Vulture and WTOP Radio. Hey, Jen. I think you could do it without my help, but I'm happy to be here. No, no, no. And of course, the lead anchor of all of this, that's why we're sinking so fast. It's it's longtime entertainment reporter and critic, Arch Campbell. That's right. I've got an anchor in my pants. (laughs) So here we are, another week of entertainment and a lot of stuff going on. And let's begin with Jen Chaney. And what is new this week and i imagine it's this uh, hamilton download on disney plus this is kind of a big story isn't it it is a really big story uh it landed on disney plus on july 3rd right before the holiday weekend um you know originally this was supposed to be a theatrical release um this year we're supposed to get in the heights and next year we're supposed to get hamilton but under the circumstances i think disney decided let's just put this out there for people and um it really is a gift. I don't know if you had seen Hamilton before yeah. on, on stage. I have, yes. In fact, actually, I saw it on Broadway. Uh, our tickets, uh, our the ticket price was high, mm-hmm. and the ticket location was so high <laughs> that at one point during the program, oxygen mass dropped from the ceiling. <laughs> 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 We were way up in the top balcony, and it was exhilarating. It's exhilarating, and it's it's sort of like 1776 on steroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it at the Kennedy Center, um, and I, I had the original cast soundtrack, so I had heard this mm-hmm. cast, but I'd never seen this cast, and this version of it just had a much more profound impact on me. Um, I think it is because of, of the actors who are just off the charts great, uh, but there's also a lot of detail that you know wherever you might be in a theater unless you're right in the front you you don't see like i didn't grasp the ending of the show in the same way until i saw this version Mm. um i Mm. i I don't want to give away what happens but there's a a tight close-up in the disney plus version on philippa sue's face that Mm. i i i'm sure the actress playing eliza did this at the kennedy center but i don't remember it and it and i I was like oh that's what the end of the play is i didn't know that um so there are details that that you pick up on uh even if you've seen it before that because you're you're right in there with the actors you can really see the emotion um one of the things i wanted to ask you jen is uh because disney has uh uh, released it to uh, cable. Uh, this version of Hamilton will not will never qualify for an Oscar. Uh, it will qualify for an Emmy. And uh, you know, what do we think of that? How do we feel about that? You know, 
I think it would have been kind of um, a tough sell, even if it had been theatrical, because mm -hmm. I don't think it's the theatrical versus the streaming that's the issue. I think the issue that they're talking about is, well, is this really a film or is it a, you know, recording of a live performance? And I think you can really make an argument on either side of that. You know, I've heard people say, well, what would stop making sense? You know, it's not just a concert movie. It's something more than that. Yeah. But I, I suspect it would have had a hard time just because it is not quite the same as a film that's been adapted for the purposes of being a movie, if that makes any sense. I mean, I, I would rather watch this than watch them try to make Hamilton into a movie. I mean, I think the stage show and watching the stage show is 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 a really profound experience. So I, I wouldn't want them to try to like, you know, do the staging differently and like actually have a setting where you're, where you're in, you know. Kind of the way they did Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago was a great, uh, that's a great example because they just, even the, the musical numbers were staged in sort of a spare, fantastical way. But I think with Hamilton, it would just be, I don't know. I don't know. But I, and this comes up every week when I talk to you, which I so enjoy. And, and it is, how does this advance our uh, movement to, uh, to cable and streaming as opposed to theatrical movies, which, you know, I wonder if they're even going to exist. Yeah, I mean, I think it gives everybody, well, everybody who subscribes to Disney Plus, which um, mm. incidentally, a lot of people did. Their, their subscriptions <laughs> went up, I think, 70% solely because mm. of Hamilton. And it's not expensive relative to other ones. It's five bucks a month. So if you wanted right. to pay five bucks and then cancel it after you watch Hamilton, you could probably mm -hmm. do that. But the idea that you have this and you can watch it whenever you want um over and over again and you know for example i i watched it in my own home and then i had a friend in my neighborhood who had like a socially distanced um screening in her backyard oh with wow. a few of us like spread out in her yard watching it there wow. and, and i think it's just it's and you know with kids and stuff they're they're really into it too i mean it's a really multi-generational show so the fact that it's available to people in this way i think is really is great i wanted to jump in and just mention this uh, i hadn't seen the show uh, as a play so this was my first real exposure to hamilton and mm -hmm. i i thought the way that they they shot it and you had the close-ups and stuff that you just don't get inside a theater with the the close you know expressions of people's unless you're sitting at the front row of a hamilton of a Hamilton show, and you you could actually see the spit from uh, what was with the King, Jonathan and I mean <laughs> that that was the kind of stuff that I really picked up on because I, you don't get that as an experience in in the in the theater, right? No, you don't. You know, the eye moves, and you as the theater uh, patron, uh, you you are left to concentrate and to concentrate your eye on on what you're going to see, and so they're doing some of the work for you, which that's is right. uh, you know that's. That's good. I, I think this is uh, an important thing in uh, the change in entertainment. And uh, five bucks a month is something I'll get behind, too, because you know how I feel about the $20 download. Well, yeah. And, and also, I mean, not, to, not that I'm out here like, uh, you know, advertising Disney Plus. I'm not a spokesperson. But um, they, they, there is so much on that service that for the money, there is a lot to watch, especially if you have a well, family. That, that's like the Hulu price, I think, is about 5 or five ninety nine, And, you know, that's the stuff I've seen on Hulu that I like. Uh, I don't mind paying that. So, so good I mean, it's for them. you know, it's every it's every Pixar movie, it's every Star Wars movie, it's every Marvel movie, it's mm -hmm. and plus you know all kinds of other older older films and shows. So, um, 
and Hamilton, I mean, Hamilton alone is worth five bucks at least. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so uh, there's, there is a new movie coming to the Hulu, <laughs> as Larry King calls it. <laughs> that uh, you've seen called Palm Springs. Yeah, this is a really fun, clever movie. Um, Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti are in it and it's um, they're at a wedding and they basically get caught in a time loop. So it's sort of a, a, a Groundhog mm -hmm. Day slash Russian doll type of situation. But very, very, very funny, um, imaginative. It's you know a 90-minute movie, so it, it's fast-paced and, and does what it needs to do and, and gets on its way. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Well, and that's on Hulu. Uh, and Andy Samberg is one of those interesting guys. Uh, thanks to you, I've been watching Perry Mason on HBO, the, uh, the very dark early 1930s setting. Uh, and Perry is not a lawyer. He's an investigator uh, with uh, Matthew uh, Reese. Mm -hmm. Matthew Reese, uh, who was so good in The Americans. And I like it. It's it. Everyone says it's dark, but it's darker in a way that has surprised me. I wouldn't say it's the greatest thing I've ever seen, but uh, but it's very watchable. And uh, I took your recommendation on that, and I'll carry through with it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, I think uh, it, nothing else. The performances are terrific. You know, it's a combination of L.A. Confidential and Chinatown, and uh, some other things. Uh, and and there there's a depth and darkness to it that uh, that I like. I'm struggling a little bit with "I'll Come for You in the Dark." The uh, true oh, crime documentary. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with it. I've only watched the first episode, and this is uh, the wife of Patton Oswalt, who was a true crime devotee, the late wife. And I think the thing I'm struggling with is the the bulletin board uh, community who get into these terrible crimes. And I'm struggling a little bit with, with that, but I think it's intriguing. The best true crime documentary I can think of is remains The Keepers, uh, the women in Baltimore who uh, reopened the case of a murdered nun and uh, and made a difference in that. I'll let you know about I'll Come for You in the Dark. Are you still, did you watch all of it or are you still watching? I have. I've watched all of it. I think it's maybe the best true crime series I've ever seen. You get what I'm saying a little bit about the, uh, the online community and uh, the way they start chatting it up, you know, like, oh, this is fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I, I think, especially as it goes on, it really, it raises questions about why any of us get so fixated on these kinds of stories, mm -hmm. um, including Michelle McNamara, including all of us watching. And I, and I will say, I think it treats its its victims who who they interview in, in the show with just great sensitivity, um, which you don't always see in shows like this. Um, I, I think it's 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 a true crime series that yes, it's about the Golden State Killer and and trying to figure out who this person was, but it's about a lot of other things that are larger than that. So um, keep watching. I'm curious to see how. Oh, good. Going. 
Okay, good, good. I, I like that. And of course, I'm still obsessed with the French village. One of these days, <laughs> I want you to get into that. Because it's about Vichy France. Vichy France, when uh, the Nazis invaded and then uh, the Vichy government uh, made a, a, an appeasement with the Nazis and there was there was sort of a French government. And you read references now in our political uh, world to uh, Vichy France. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason alone, and this has thrown me back into the history books, and now I'm up to the fourth, I'm up into 1943. And the resistance is uh, forming and they're living in the forest and they're doing resistance things and they're waiting for the Americans to uh, invade. And, and it's, it's one of those things. I, I think people uh, either have never heard of it or like me, they're obsessed. <laughs> one of these nights, I'm going to get some sleep. <laughs> Let's <laughs> Lou. <laughs> What are, what are you obsessed with? Well, we, we've been trying to be obsessed with Anna Kendrick and, and Love Life, but I just can't warm up to it. Really? It, it, oh, I like that show. I, I don't know. It's just, you know, every it's just a 30-minute thing, and we just, I don't know. She's, I think she's cute and fun to watch, but I just haven't warmed up yes. to that show. So there you are. Lou, how about a shameless plug for Hound Radio? If you happen to be a fan of lost songs, songs that nobody ever plays anymore, we have a special treat every weekend, and here's what it's all about. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners. She has sent in a classic stiff. Came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. We call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for an hour, Hound Radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits. Some are singles, some are album tracks, but they all have one thing in common. They're stiffs. Got one you want to hear? Send it to Lou at HoundRadio.com. There's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this. It's Sunday Night Stiffs, every weekend from 9 till 10 on Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. We're back from the break. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. We have a very special, unannounced guest movie critic, Arch. Our good friend and Jen's colleague on WTOP, Jason Fraley, continues to amaze the world with his encyclopedic knowledge of the world's greatest movies, This month, he offers his personal best lists. It's a list a day for the month of July, and I think the movies are numbering into the thousands. So let's say hello to Jason Fraley, the king of list makers. Jason, tell us about this WTOP project. Hey, Arch, Jen, Lou. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a project where, you know, we've all been sitting around uh, during quarantine with plenty of time on our hands. Movie theaters are still not open. Every time they say that, you know, Tenet or Mulan or whatever the big tent poles are, whenever they say they're going to reopen, they keep kicking the can back, um, as they should, in my opinion. 
But um, anyway, so yeah, I've been thinking, I had all this free time and I thought, you know what, I'm going to revisit this best movies project that I did a couple years ago um, where we ranked every mo- best movies in every genre. But I expanded it this year, added some more movies in there, um, basically some movies that I hadn't seen even back then, a couple new documentaries, a couple new foreign films, and even tinkered with the added some other movies that uh, maybe I thought I left out last time. Like, oh my God, Jen, I didn't even have Clueless in there last time. You wrote the book on it. I got a bunch of stuff in there that uh, maybe hadn't been in there before, um, as well as some other stuff like Parasite that hadn't even been out yet when you know when we made. Now wait a minute, Jen wants to Jen wants to defend Clueless. Well, he added it. You know, I mean, he obviously <laughs> did the right thing. <laughs> he came to so, expenses. <laughs> well, part of it too was last time I think we had like twenty five in each genre, and my crazy self decided let's go thirty in each genre. We'll do thirty days, thirty movies, thirty genres. So now thirty different genres. Uh, tell us some of the genres. Oh, so yeah, most people are like, are there even 30 genres? <laughs> but um, yeah, it's action, adventure, animation, biopic, comedy, coming of age. So I added a couple Ooh. little other ones in there. Ooh. Courtroom, crime, documentary, drama, epic, family comedy, family drama, fantasy, film noir, gangster, horror, musical, mystery. Then I have politics and media. That's an interesting one with your All the President's Men's and the, that. Ooh. I had prison, so we get a little separate one for you know Shawshank Cool Hand Luke What's and the your like. favorite prison movie I have the Shawshank Redemption as, as number of course. one yeah um well it's funny when you start netting these out you're like well wait a minute I can fit more movies if I slide you know if I have a whole separate category for your you know your Cool Hand Luke so I, you, uh, oh brother or Arthur all those you know chain gang type stuff to it. it it adds up quickly uh then we had romance rom-com sci-fi then I had showbiz which you know you get some Sunset Boulevard, All About Eve, all that jazz, that kind of stuff. Silent movies, sports, thrillers, war, and western. So there's your 30. Because you're here, I think you should ask Jen and me what our favorite movies are of these various genres and then uh, compare notes. So I'm going to I'm going to turn over the moderator's post to you to uh, quiz Jen and me and Lou. Looks like Jen is raising her hand now. We have a question in the audience from Jen. Oh, go for it. <laughs> so uh, you addressed this in the project, but um, obviously when you have this many genres, there's some overlap between them. Uh, were there certain movies that you had a hard, harder time than others figuring out exactly which genre to place them in? Great, great question. So yes, we we sort of set ourselves a rule here where you could, or each movie, movie could only be in one genre um mostly obviously just an you know uh excuse to fit more of my favorite movies but also so there wasn't you know you know you click three different genres and you see the same movie you know there wasn't repeat entries so yeah like um for instance you know the matrix do you put that in sci-fi or or action it had that great you know wire food bullet time slow little action but i ultimately put it in sci-fi um because of its you know red pill blue pill (laughs) philosophy stuff but shadows on the cave plato stuff but um but you know what i mean like it's or the terminator is that action or sci-fi there's a lot of ones that were totally crossover wizard of oz is that fantasy or musical we we put it in number one of my musicals so on it, it could a lot of these could go either way but we and we also made a rule that for each franchise it would only 
be represented once on the list. So, you know, you wouldn't have a million different Avengers movies. You'd have them all as one combined entry, sort of as as it's in its totality. Or you wouldn't have a million Rockies slash Creed. It would just be one entry. Mm -hmm. You be the moderator. You pitch us some questions. All right. What would you guys do? You got you want to go through all of them or just jump around? Uh, you jump around. <laughs> all right. What would you say your favorite comedy? <laughs> wow, Jen. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> wow. Because they change so much over time. And some things aren't funny now that were hilarious then. Um, I'm going to go because of, of its time with the original version of the producers. Oh, hilarious. Which they, which they did not want to release because it pushed the envelope so much. And uh, Gene Hackman and Zero Mostel were just... I think I think it was also the original Buddy movie, but uh, I'm going to go with the original uh, version of the producers. Again, seeing it in the late '60s, and people were just screaming in the theater because it so pushed the envelope. Lou, what about you? Well, I think I'm, I'm more modern when it comes to my choices for comedies. I, I, for me, it's a tie, guys, between uh, Anchorman, the original, and, <laughs> and the Forty-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> yeah, that's a great pick. They were hilarious. I think I might have to say, and obviously this answer will change in like 10 minutes, but uh, I think I would have to say Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. Oh, so good. Yeah. Everything you guys are picking is, are hilarious. It's funny, Ferris Bueller, I actually had that in my coming of age list, so ironically mm -hmm. not on this one and in the producers i have in my showbiz list so uh, but also hilarious i was just watching that clip the other day where zero mostel was trying to contain um gene wilder and he's like i'm hysterical i'm i'm wet and i'm still i'm in pain and i'm wet and i'm still hysterical <laughs> And then, yeah, and then Lou, man, 40-Year-Old Virgin. I remember that came out the same summer as uh, Wedding Crashers, and I was in college, so it was perfect. All the guys went, and it was back-to-back, -back, like two of the best comedies of all time came out that same summer, and that chest-waxing scene with blah, blah, Kelly Clarkson. I think it's just so hilarious. <laughs> and that was like right when Carell was starting The Office, too. I think it was right at the cusp of all that. So it was, it was Judd Apatow at his finest, and so many people were launched in that movie. Well, um, and the way the 40-Year-Old version got on the other other side of things i mean you know most people were so active and and here is this guy who uh never had sex and uh, and the payoff is uh delightful and hilarious <laughs> the dawning of the age of aquarius <laughs> <laughs> all right jason it's only fair what is your favorite comedy my i actually ended up i was i was wondering whether i should do caddyshack or airplane or duck soup and then some mm. like it hot they're all in my top five but wow. i ultimately went with blazing saddles and i know it's sort oh, of uh, yeah yeah controversial you know in terms of you know mm -hmm. you know things change over time you definitely couldn't make it today but it was co-written by richard Pryor and mel brooks and uh I actually thought it was, you know, even maybe the more controversial part. I think they're sort of, or I 
think they're a commentary on it all. Um, so I thought Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder and Harvey Corman and Madeline Kahn and Slim Pickens. I mean, I just was sitting thinking what Mel Brooks movie would I pick? And I just thought that was just so crazy, gutsy, hilarious for its time. So uh, that's what I, that's what I picked. So throw us one last uh, genre and then we're going to ask you a couple of things. <laughs> all right. Um, what did you put for science fiction? Jim? That's an easy one for me. It's E.T. Mm. Oh, I love E.T. Oh. And Why you would you say that, that science Why would you fiction? Say that? Well, I mean, it, it could be a lot of things. It could be coming, like you said, Jason, it could be coming of age. It could be sci-fi. It could be drama. But uh, the two most formative movies of my childhood were The Wizard of Oz and E.T. And those two mm. movies kind of go hand in hand. Um, there was a New Yorker piece years ago that Anthony Lane wrote about those two movies and how they're kind of commentaries on each other that was really beautiful but that I mean E.T. made me want to like kind of made me want to do what I do really wow yeah I'm tearing up thinking about that I'll be right here moment at the end it gets me every time the most immortal kids movie ever made I think uh, Louis I gotta side with Jen I think E.T. is just a, a wonderful classic I'm thinking of the Twilight Zone movie they made and I'm thinking of the segment where uh, John Lithgow is uh, on an airplane and the, and the little gremlin is riding out on the wing <laughs> For some reason, that's coming to my mind. That's what's so hard. Like that, that really to me feels like uh -huh. it's hard. Yeah, because it's not a complete movie. Uh, science fiction, I, I'm going to go with The Exorcist, although <laughs> it's horror, but, uh, and people might not, that, that that's what's coming to my mind. So, and uh, in 10 minutes, I'm going to think of a better example. <laughs> no one has said Star Wars. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, I have E.T. and Star Wars very high and Back to the Future very high. And, you know, Star Wars is an interesting one because that's, I think the debate has raged between fans forever of is it sci-fi or is it fantasy because there's so many fantasy elements with the other world building but I put it in sci-fi I think most people would I think the AFI even had it I don't know if I would think of Back to the Future as sci-fi necessarily hmm. that's interesting I mean it's time travel it's yeah, yeah but then you've got like the family elements too yeah I love I got Back to the Future so good um, but yeah I, ultimately number one I went with 2001 A Space Odyssey I just thought that oh, was well, such a, maybe one of the most ambitious movie ever and not only guys. that but it still plays today i mean it's it, it has become to me very timeless i watched it again recently and uh the futuristic stuff he put in there like you know they fly to the space to the moon on uh pan american you know he <laughs> got, would be southwest airlines now but there'd be no airlines now you're not allowed to get on a plane yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah you're right i think they predicted the idea of like video conferencing like you know uh -huh. like we're doing now or you know and uh just the idea of i mean like what you're saying it was all shot so photo it was they went for photo realistic images mm -hmm. with miniature models and stuff it wasn't like the latest you know cheesy special effects of the day because that will date you know the original war of the world right. while i have it on the yeah. list is lower because it's sort of dated when you look at it now but uh 2001 you look at it today and it looks like an actual photograph in the entire thing and just the ambition of trying to chart mankind's evolution from you know the first you know primitive man throwing a bone up into the air the dawn of man uh cut to the, the spaceship in space and then trying to chart where we go from there i mean maybe the tree of life tried to do that 
big scale of a thing, but I can't yeah. think of another movie that tried to, you know, capture such a giant idea. And I still don't know what the ending means, but <laughs> it's still mind blowing. Well, uh, it sounds like uh, this could be a, an entire book and we could spend uh, weeks going through this stuff. And it, it's a great exercise. And, uh, and it's on your website at WTOP and on the radio station. Uh, just sure, uh, before sure if you just, if you just Google, you know, WTOP best movies of all time, I'm sure it'll pop up. And yeah, I mean, you should put this together as a book. Would you ever? Uh, yeah, that would be, I would love to. That would be. <laughs> Are you yeah, busy be... these days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quarantine. Before we wrap up with you, what are you watching now that you know nobody's been to somebody the other day asked me what was the last movie you saw and i think it was emma and uh you know what are you watching what are you doing now with no movies yeah i think i the last movie i went to was back in like march so yeah it's mm -hmm. been a long time but we're still reviewing stuff obviously as as jen knows on wtop she's hard at work at, at that too but these days um i mean the thing everyone's talking about now is you know the the hamilton streaming on Disney Plus. I didn't get to see it on Broadway, sadly, because I didn't have, you know, $1,000 a ticket at my disposal. But um, I saw it at the Kennedy Center with, you know, with the national tour cast, which was, you know, mm. fun and all. But this, the treat of this is getting to see it with the original cast. Um, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda in the lead, Leslie Odom Jr. Um, as Aaron Burr. And I thought David Diggs stealing the show as Tom, as like a cocky Thomas Jefferson, I think is hilarious. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the idea of, especially with everything that's going on in the country right now with race relations i think that that a movie arriving now they couldn't have picked a better a better time for it what else am i watching oh i just started the new unsolved mysteries on netflix there's a baltimore case in the first mm. episode uh robert stack is you know obviously no longer with us so he can't host it but the same creepy music the dun 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 <laughs> and um what else oh i really liked quiz on amc the uh, british cool. who wants to be a millionaire scandal it reminded me of you know quiz show which i still think exactly. is one of the underrated movies of all time i think that's a robert redford just kicked, knocked that out of the park so quiz on amc i'd recommend that well uh jason it's always fun uh talking to you and it's always uh, kind of mind-bending too and your 900 movies for the month of july has my head spinning but in a good way this is good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got my head spinning, too. Man, when we keep talking about The Exorcist. So there you go. Heads are spinning. Heads spinning for sure. Hey, Jason, always great to have you on the podcast. Right now, it's back to Arch with, unfortunately, some sad news. I was very uh, sad to read about the death of Carl Reiner uh, at the age of 98 at the end of June. And do you have some thoughts on Carl Reiner's life and career? And career. <laughs> I mean, we could do we could do hours on on Carl Reiner. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, what a long and and yeah. wonderful life he led um, to get to ninety eight and to be as you know still engaged as as he was right up to the very end is is a remarkable thing all by itself. But you know, his legacy in in comedy is just incredible. I mean, I have vague memories of watching the Dick Van Dyke Show, like reruns of it. But I think the first Carl Reiner thing that really made an impact on me was the jerk yes <laughs> um which he directed and and uh he worked with steve martin quite a bit and uh yeah i mean just the, the number of years that he was making really major contributions to comedy is pretty extraordinary yeah that he stayed
stayed relevant as long as he did really is an achievement. I'm a fan of Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, which was his parody (laughs) of Double Indemnity, which actually used uh, some footage from the original uh, film and uh, recreated it in hilarious ways. Uh, And when I think of Carl Reiner, I think of that. I would also like to throw out to everyone, there is a film kicking around from the 70s that is a kinescope of 10 segments of your show of shows from from the 1950s. And I think the name of the movie is 10 from your show of shows. And when you read references to Carl Reiner and his work on that, and you know, that event, your show of shows was a 90 minute live show that NBC started at the beginning of television in 1949. And the writers included Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks and Mel Tolkien and Neil Simon, I think, was one of the writers. And later he, uh, some of his plays reflected uh, that experience. Your show of shows and and that kinescope of them, you see the roots of Saturday Night Live and Carol Burnett and uh, all of the other things that uh, followed uh, since then. Uh, there's a hilarious takeoff of uh, This Is Your Life, where Carl Reiner plays the, uh, the host. And he's the perfect uh, straight man in the whole thing. Welcome, America, and hi there, everybody. Once again, we present This Is Your Story. As you know, each week, we give you the intimate inside story of some person's life. I highly recommend uh, 10 from your show of shows to anyone. And the other thing about the Dick Van Dyke show is it's considered the bridge to uh, the great sitcoms of All in the Family and the rest um, from uh, the stuff that television started with, which was uh, fairly uh, mundane. So it's uh, very sad to say goodbye to uh, Carl Reiner. But he certainly had a wonderful career. And uh, let's see, any any last words from Lou or Jen? Hmm, Arch, uh, how about the term pop quiz? <laughs> we kind of ran uh, What's Your Favorite Movie into the ground with Jason Fraley today. Yeah, that's but, the thing. <laughs> uh, Jen, do you have another another episode of what's your favorite (laughs) sure what is your favorite summer blockbuster like a movie that you have very fond memories that was a big summer movie that you have fond memories of of seeing i'm gonna go with raiders of the lost ark because when raiders of the lost ark came out and what was that 1981 yeah it Mm -hmm. kicked off a whole new genre and I was in the uh, KB Cinema, packed with a preview audience. And when that opening scene takes place and the boulder starts rolling toward Indiana Jones, uh, people in the theater were just electrified. And so because of the time and the place and the summer and the newness of it, uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> 
that's it for me. <laughs> Jen? Well, I already talked about this a little uh, earlier in the show, but, um, you know, E.T. was a very formative experience for me. That was my first Spielberg movie, and it opened up that whole world of, of, of his films to the point where I remember the year after that, we had a class assignment where we, we had to choose someone who we admired and write a report about their life, and then we had to do whatever it was, try to do whatever it was that they do for a job. Oh so. My. So I um, I wrote a, a report about Steven Spielberg's life, and then I made a movie um, huh. with my father. My father was the DP. Um, oh, I was wow. the uh, director, writer, and uh, star. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was called The Adventures of CompuGirl, and I was a superhero who would make people um, help people get better scores on video games. And um, I'm so glad that YouTube did not exist because I would not want this to be out in the public domain at all. But um, but that's how profound of an impact that movie had on me, that I was just obsessed with it from there forward and then started watching Close Encounters and, like you said, Raiders and all those other movies. Now, was this on uh, home video or 8mm? <laughs> it was it was a home video where, I don't know if you can remember when we had a VCR and, like, to, to shoot it, my dad had this huge yeah. camera. And then he literally had to, like, carry the whole VCR like on his shoulder. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Lewis, you've got a blockbuster you remember fondly? I do. Um, one of my favorite summer. what your summer blockbusters, one of my favorite, I think was out 2000, 2001. Shrek. Hmm. Oh. I wow. love I loved Shrek. Who'd want to live in a place like that? That would be my home. Oh, and it is lovely, just beautiful. You know, you are quite a decorator. It's amazing what you've done with such a modest budget. And that was a Pixar thing, too, wasn't it? Was that no, a No, Pic- it was DreamWorks. Got it. DreamWorks, that's right. It's a Shrek. That, that- but it, like, you know, it, it uh, kind of uh, kicked off a whole new genre. I mean, or at least modified it some. So what are we recommending this weekend? Besides well- a French village. <laughs> I would actually like to recommend a film that's on Netflix. It's called um, Disclosure. It's not the Mm -hmm. Michael Douglas movie. Um, It's about uh, really going back to the beginning of film history and looking at how um, trans people have been represented on screen and how Mm -hmm. that has affected their self-image. I thought it was really, really fascinating to really to to go back and look at that and and re-examine, you know, how Hollywood has depicted that community and how damaging it, it, it has been often in the past for people who were struggling with whether they were trans or not. Um, so if you're interested in film history and, and that subject matter, I highly recommend watching that. Wow. Uh, well, I'm going to stick with I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Uh because I'm going to double my effort to see that, as well as uh, Perry Mason. They're both kind of dark. They're not summary things, but uh, because of your recommendation, I'm going to stick that. Okay, good. And Lewis, we have uh, a musical tribute. A couple days ago, uh, the music composition world lost lost a real art. Um, uh, Ennio um, Morcone, who was uh, 91 years old, passed away uh, he's most famous for his composition of the theme from the 1966 movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I thought we would play that to wrap up our podcast today. Okay. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
This is the CATS Podcasting System.